Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, geeks, nerds, fanboys, fangirls, germs, germaphobes, and especially fans of Valiant Comics all around the globe. We'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me, as always, my comic book partner in crime, Holden Orm, who is also a co-anchor here at Vigilant Geek Media. And uh, we have a very, very uh, special episode uh, for you people here today. Um, we are covering current Valiant Comics continuity. Woo! Um, so for those of you who are longtime listeners, you might remember, uh, back in season one, uh, we covered Valiant, uh, all the way up through the Book of Death event. Uh, so what we're basically going to do today is go title by title and, uh, give you, uh, some, uh, notes upon the continuity that has, uh, transpired since Book of Death. All right. Well, this is uh, this is good. That um, I like Valiant. Valiant's one of the more interesting uh, publishers out there, uh, especially lately. If you're you're t- sick and tired of the big two giving you your basic, you know, like your basic books, it just feels like you're reading the same stories you've been reading for the past however many years. Um, Valiant's a little bit different. Uh, their continuity and universe was established within the modern era, so it actually has a. It, it feels more organic. It feels more like it kind of happened right now, as opposed to Marvel and DC, which is pretty much. I don't know if they stayed true to when most of those characters were de- developed. It'd be uh, pretty much in the uh, 50s, 60s still. Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, now, Valiant uh, had sort of a hiatus in regards to putting out books, and then. Uh, Recently, they, uh, someone bought the company, right? And they, uh, you know, put out the line again. Am I correct on that? Yeah. So I believe we covered a little bit of history the last episode, but if you don't want to go back and uh, listen to the uh, seasons one episode, I'm uh, just going to go ahead and let you know right now. Um, Valiant uh, was originally founded by uh, former Marvel artists and writers and, and uh, editors, because I guess there was a logjam at the top. No one could really get any more career possession, um, right. progression, and they were being hamstrung creatively, and they couldn't write the stories that they wanted to tell. So, I mean, the, this kind of happened around, like, Marvel had a mass exodus back when... Um, I think it happened around the same time when when a bunch of people left to go found Image. Uh, a bunch of people also left to go ahead and found Valiant Comics. Right. Um, major differences being is that Valiant has, uh, the way they developed it, it had a re- really, really tight continuity. And they're doing fairly well. And then they got bought by Acclaim. And Acclaim was a video game company. And they went ahead and... Uh, um, that's why, you know, and on N64 with Turok Dinosaur Hunter, that back then it was a property of Valiant. Uh, it's a gold key title now. I believe Dynamite has the rights to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But uh, anyways, things were going fairly well, but then Acclaim tanked. I guess they just they couldn't make good games anymore, and then they didn't have enough money to go ahead and keep the Valiant comics afloat. 
even though they had a fairly decent following. And until up about, uh, I want to say, four to five years ago, they uh, they went ahead and they someone went ahead and who had remembered Valiant Comics from their childhood as uh, Daesh something. Oh man, uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and look it up on the internet because I don't want to mess this up. Let's see. Well, yeah, I I, I remember. Uh it was an Indian gentleman who bought the company and who is, you know, the big cheese over there. I forget his name. Well, we're going to we, have it in... <laughs> we're going to have it in T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Dinesh Shamdasani. That is the guy. <laughs> All right, so he's he's the one. He's the he's the one who went ahead and um, got the ball rolling on this, and and it was cool because um, they went ahead and they rebooted these characters, and they got and their their strategy was to go ahead and get all the people working on fringe books from like the big two and people who have kind of proved themselves in the industry, and bring them over and give them like room to you know let their feet breathe and move around and tell stories the way they wanted to tell them. And for the most part, they haven't been creatively hamstrung at all. And the even more amazing thing is that they've managed to keep the continuity incredibly tight-knit. Like, if something's going on with one character in one book, like, it, you, you know what everyone is doing across all books. And as they get bigger, it's going to be more of a challenge to try to keep that kind of continuity. But you have crossovers with other characters from within the Valiant universe all the time. They're the best at it. They're better than Marvel. They're better than DC. Uh, and I think the reason why they choose to only put out a certain amount of books each month is because they want to make sure that this continuity intertwines as well as, as, as humanly possible. And they do it. And they're great at it. And that is one of just, just one reason why we have such a fondness for the label, you know, for Valiant Comics itself. Well, so. I like it because it's not necessarily a superhero universe. A right. Show, a lot of superpowered characters, but, uh, it's not necessarily like, uh, like, uh, a universe with, just capes, you know, like people. Not at all. Your your standard typical hero fair. Um, plus, they got so many different things, whether it's mystical or science fiction, or or political. They they do it all, and somehow they mesh incredibly well across the board. Absolutely. So um, I suppose let's dive into some meat and potatoes of this whole ordeal here, and uh, talk about. Uh, you know, the book that's really at the uh, epicenter of uh, Valiant Comics continuity at this point in time. I think it just finished up, I, I believe, or it's finishing up. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Imperium. Okay. Uh, Imperium, the Imperium run just finished. Uh, Imperium spun out of one of the more popular books in the line that kind of ended its run. Um, and it started off with Harbinger. Right. Where you'd follow the Renegade team and it introduced you to characters like Live Wire and Toyo Harada and all Harada Psyots, you know, which are, you know, the superpowered individuals. They're like psychics. And Peter, they have, Peter Stanchek. And the, yeah, Peter Stanchek and the Renegades. Torque. Faith. Or Zephyr. The whole gang. And yeah, and they're, uh, and, and uh, it's exciting because it looks like they're getting ready to come back soon. But in Imperium, 
uh, events spin out of the end of Harbinger when uh, Peter Stanchek and, and the Renegades found the um, they hacked Harbinger and kept Harada busy enough so that he didn't know that he was getting hacked and they released all the information over the web and and then everyone knew that the Harbinger Foundation was completely just manipulating things because Toyo Harada had um, access to the Bleeding Monk who was a precog- had precognitive powers. Right. So now, he, he could tell the future for anything. So he was absolutely just inside trading, manipulating like the entire market. Oh, yeah. Big time insider trader Toyo Harada. And just to put... Uh, Put put this on pause for just one second. We've we've mentioned this before in previous season one Valiant Comics uh, episode, but just real quickly, Toyo Harada is the most powerful Sayat uh, in the Valiant U, and um, he's also like you know the main character of Imperium. Uh, basically, he wants to. Uh, save, save the world and end poverty, end hunger, end war. But in doing so, he will do whatever it takes. So he will kill and he won't think twice about it. And because of that, uh, the renegades, uh, formed and, and revolted against him. Um, but just to keep in mind, Toyo Harada, he is like, you know, Evil Professor X, really. Exactly. Like, that, yeah, yeah. Like evil Professor X if Professor X had like, like Phoenix powers, pretty much. Big time. Yeah. Guys, guys that big of a beast. He's so, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just wanted to stress that, um, however, continue, kind sir. You're doing a good job here. Yep, Don't yep. What's so, going on. what, uh, what spun out of that was all of a sudden the Harbinger Foundation was just like, taking a lot of heat. All the nations in the world were about to go after him. So, what Harada does is he goes in uh, in the book. They uh, I guess it's kind of considered sort of distant future because uh, I guess the there's an aircraft carrier named after President Bush in the book. Yes. So he goes and he's got his two companions with him, uh, other psyops. And what he does is he goes and he lands on the aircraft carrier and like all the U.S. forces think he's going to go surrender. And then he just goes ahead and mind controls everybody on the ship broadcast to the world that like you can't stop me go ahead and try yeah so he just pretty much lands on one of the most advanced aircraft carriers ever and is just like mine (laughs) then he takes it and then he sets up shop in somalia where he's and he's trying to go ahead and and make things better for everybody but also meanwhile he starts recruiting and that's like the first part of imperium is because you you get to meet these um these characters that are part of his his uh his hit squad team. So and they're they're pretty interesting too. Well you got Grave Dog who's Grave uh, Dog who's um let's see, he was a leader for uh, one of the hardcore team hardcorps teams. Which is Pro- Project Rising Spirit, for those that don't know. Right. And uh, if you're not familiar with them, not a lot of people are, but I don't know, maybe you should. That um the hardcorps they have these brain implants and through the use of satellites they can go ahead and download one superpower at a time. With so like force fields, walking through things, uh stun rams, mind control, force fields, super strength. Pretty much anything you can think of. Pretty of. much anything you can think of. Yeah. And so they they go ahead and um he Grave Dog, his team goes in and he was supposed to go ahead and and take out Harada and what he does is he kills his own team 
and then he he goes and offers to his services to Harada. So that's one guy out the gate that he picks up. Another interesting character that's also part of this book is Mech Major. Um, he's uh, a, um, excuse me. He wants to be called uh, Sunlight on Snow. Right. So, right. No, I'm just, <laughs> I was gonna bring it up. I swear. No, I'm just kidding. I know you were. So, um, but uh, so what Harada went, he went ahead and he had this artificial intelligence developed. But then he goes ahead and he makes it so that the artificial intelligence is completely entrapped within his mechanical body and has no way whatsoever to go ahead and reach out onto the internet. So he's like this huge, vast thinking intelligence, but he can't. It's like he's in, in a prisoner in his own body. Right. And uh, and he was kind of a mechanical, ro- uh, a medical robot. For first aid and stuff, but uh, he, they they use him as a weapon, and he's not particularly happy with the situation. So he's like a a compassionate artificial intelligence. He's got feelings. Um, hence, you know, he sees sunlight upon snow at some point in Imperium. I, I forget exactly when, and he thinks it's so beautiful that that's what that's what he wants to be called. You know, it's like. It's funny to have an AI think that way, I think. Yeah, well, it's, it's, and it's, especially it's an actually a- really, really intelligent. Like, it's, yeah. like, it might as well just be person, really. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so th- they had him. Then you have Lord Vine 99. Ooh. Which is a genetically engineered Vine warrior specifically programmed to assassinate Toyo Harada. He'll cold cock you. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, Lord Vine, he'll co, he'll cold cock, he'll cold cock, yeah. No, it's very, he's a very cool, very vicious looking Vine alien, and Toyo Harada. He goes and he 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 messes with his genetic code so he doesn't kill him, and and then he gives him because all Lord Vine wants to do is just it's just this crazy savage. Giant mantis like beast, like ten feet tall. Well, I don't know if he's ten feet tall. He's freaking huge. Though. Yeah, I would say so. At least ten feet tall. Yeah. And and he goes and and all he wants to do is kill things. So Toyo's like, well, you can't kill me because I messed with your genes, but you can go ahead and and um, kill these people. Because another thing that he did was he made it so that Lord Vine couldn't um, go ahead and commune as part of the Vine consciousness. It's something they can do. They kind of reflect inward and then all of a sudden they can commune with all the other vine yeah Ugh. and so so then we got him and then and then there's dr oh geez well you know what i can look up her name angela of something but uh yeah so while the she was working for project rising spirit when they were exploring exploring an extra dimensional area mm-hmm. and an extra dimensional being goes ahead and takes over her body and I guess it's wicked smart and it makes a deal with Harada to give him um, engineer technology like cold fusion like crazy stuff that is just theorized right now but in comic books you can go ahead and, and do those types of things so she went ahead and, and made all this crazy technology for him so so he's got the team in place Pretty solid team, I have to say. Pretty solid, right out there. Wow. Talk about a team, an evil brotherhood. Well, it's debatable as to whether Harada is evil. But, um, definitely, you know, quite, quite the, the team of, of, of misfit, uh, evildoers there to help him out. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, it's like, uh, Harada's a bastard. 
but he thinks he's Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. So <laughs> you get that strange dynamic, and then um, over the, the the whole run, pretty much happened within the span of uh, in then and now, and and it's been great. Um, they they had that first arc, but they pretty much put the team together. Then they had to go. They had. Um, they ended up having that uh, fight with the vine, the vine right. plantings on the, Earth. The plantings that was a huge thing where you have um, these vine aliens, half human, half vine aliens, uh, that were uh, put on Earth to uh, basically blend in and uh, gather intel. Run things. And and, and and remember, they have that collective mind that they can uh, speak to each other with. So you know. They're plotting to kill Toyo Harada. That is their number one goal. And this is actually not even the first time in history that they tried to do that, because uh, they tried to kill him with Lord Vine the first time, and then right, and then he found a way to to stop it. And and it was crazy because Lord Vine was sent by the Vine Homeworld, designed specifically to take care of this, and and Toyo Harada just basically like he just messed him up. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's. He's what they call an Omega level Psyot, and so far within Valiant continuity, there's two of them. They they get they're born like every once a generation, really. And who's the other one? Livewire? No, Peter Stanchek. Stanchek, okay. Yeah, he's, yeah. he Stanchek has like the, the exact same power set as Toyo Harada. Wow. But uh, but Stanchek's unique in in the fact that he actually has the ability to activate latent Psyot abilities without brain surgery because for a long time you had to do really risky surgery in order to activate these latent psyot abilities right that's right because toyo harado was hunting down other psyots so he's that's what he's always doing in well, order in order to activate them well he's always trying to recruit them and bring them in well quote unquote recruit yeah well, I, he, no he, he takes them in and they go yeah. to their school i mean eventually they get kind of brainwashed well as opposed to like project rising spirit who used to just go ahead and like send a bloodshot out and Bloodshot would just kill everybody, grab up these kids with these latent abilities, and then, and then Project Rising Spirit would go ahead and have them activated. But then they but put them on these these hit squads, which is kind of the premise for Generation Zero, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and Imperium is starting is really, really, really something. Um, they they had the Vine Arc, then they went ahead and. Uh, they finished it off with this um, arc where Livewire and the Hard Corps go ahead and, and unify and try to shut down Harada, and then Harada goes ahead and makes them look like fools. Yeah, they get to that satellite, uh, try to shut down the satellite that Grave Dog was using for his powers, and there was a Psyot, like a makeshift Psyot bomb. Uh, like, so, like, sort of like, hey, I already anticipated you were gonna do this, kablam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like this organic bomb, he just opens it up, you just see a pair of eyeballs attached to a brain, and yeah. it just sets off this psyot wave, and, oh, really messes stuff up. And then, when they finally went ahead and concluded the series, you just kinda like, oh man, things are about to get crazy, because Harada's kinda, putting the world on blast like a lot of governments are trying to go ahead and maybe like see things his way because a lot of people aren't really satisfied with the status quo of the united states and europe like putting oh, yeah. everybody under their thumb 
Yeah, so Harada is definitely getting a lot of uh, international sympathies. Uh, countries are backing him. India being like the forefront of that, I'd say, because that's where he is uh, getting resources from. Yeah, so it, like- it sets everything up real good for like, because the this book isn't about heroes. This is about like major villains within the Valiant continuity, and they this like they had their own book and they had it for quite some time, close to two years almost. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, it just it turned out really well, and now they're getting ready to uh, re-release the uh, Renegades again. Um, coming up within the next couple months, so it should be good. I'm actually really looking forward to it because Peter Stanchek is one of my favorite characters. He's in a way, he's like, you know, like the main, he's one of the main heroes. Like, I feel like Stanchek, Exo Man of War, and Bloodshot are like the three, the big three for Valiant almost. I mean, I could be wrong. But. Um, as far, I don't know. In, in my mind, I believe, well, are we talking about power set or popularity? Oh, just popularity and, oh, pop- and, and like, like say like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman are DC's big three. I'd say Exo, Bloodshot, and Stanchek maybe for the like Valiant's big three. If if you had to pick, you know, if you had to do a big three, well, it's definitely you. Definitely, I think I definitely agree with your first two. Exo is the flagship. He is the flagship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's Valiant's Iron Man, but he's he's different. Obviously, he's like you know so. He shits on Iron Man. Oh yeah, he, he, if he got into a, think about it. Oh, he just he destroy Iron Man. Yeah, he'd, te- oh. <clears throat> he'd tear him in half. Yeah, it would just happen that fast. Like I remember when they first put out the uh, Unity and as a book, and and uh, Harada went ahead and sent uh, sent his uni- his first Unity team after uh, Exo Manowar. Yeah, and it was supposed to be his like most elite. Yeah. team of Psyots. And, and Exo just tears right through yeah. him, yeah. Yeah, and then all freaking Eric Demencia is just like, energy sword, and like, like, cuts off heads, and then pretty much just shot him one blast, and just, <laughs> <he> took <laughs> them out so quick. Yeah. And then they had to go ahead and create another Unity, Unity team, which eventually they became heroes, but, uh, I remember, cause yeah, cause Harada was part of Unity the first time. Yeah, that's right. So, um, when Imperium closes out, um, where does it leave us? Is it basically like leaving it so that the Renegades book kind of like picks up where Imperium leaves off and like maybe the Renegades form to deal with Harada because he's gotten so much power now or, or how does Imperium leave us for the future? Well, to look at that, you gotta kind of look at how Harbinger ended. Okay. So when Harbinger ended, the 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 Renegade team split up. Um, Torque and Faith went ahead, went their own way. Um, Axe disappeared. Right, um, the hacker guy. Yeah, the hacker kid. He's wicked good. And then Chris wanted to just kind of do her own thing. Plus, she was like sick and tired of Piers' like mind control bullshit because he mind controlled her a couple of times. Yeah. And, when reading the book, you got kind of like, you don't know if he raped her, but like, she feels raped, sorta, of, because he- At least mind raped, yeah. He, yeah, did the mind control. Well, I mean, I mean, it might as well be the same thing. It's all about yeah, power, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on. So, 
they they split up and Peter went back into heavy duty drug usage because he couldn't handle constantly being able to read people's minds all the time on accident couldn't focus just wanted to be numb so what he did is he'd he'd walk into like a, a, a pharmacy make it so people couldn't see him make the pharmacist pharmacist go ahead and fill up bottles full of, like Percocet, Dilaudid, Xanax all the good stuff all the yeah all these like crazy heavy drugs um because meanwhile because while he was doing all this while because he's just wanted to feel numb to the world he was just sick and tired and the and the world was looking for Peter Stanchek because they knew he was one of the only people who could take down Toyo Harada. So, Peter, he, he's just, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to freaking just use my mind control so people don't fuck with me and get high as hell. And so he, he was doing that. And that's kind of how it's been. You don't know where Peter's been since then. Um... So I imagine now it's after now that Imperium's finished, like the, the things are really a lot of upheaval. Um, P, I imagine something's gonna happen that somebody's gonna go ahead and and talk to Peter Stanchek, give him a change of heart. He's gonna get the band back together, and then they're gonna go ahead and and see what they can do about this situation. Okay, yeah. Unless they tried to just take it in a little, a little bit different direction as it is, because uh, I know Peter doesn't like dealing with Harada very much. I mean, every time they fight, it's like, it's like uh, the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. I mean, mm. They just keep fighting and fighting and fighting, and it's just brutal. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Um, so, in other words, Imperium uh, ends in and Toyo Harada just yeah. gets what he wants. It's just like victorious. Yeah. He stands there, he's got everything on lock. What happens everything. with Livewire? So cuz she puts up a damn good fight, but obviously she doesn't prevail. Uh her and the hardcore. No, they they end up like leaving licking their wounds, the ship that they end up thinking that these like crazy supplies and weapons and stuff are on a specific boat, but they can't find out which boat, and they end up sinking the one with all the food and and, and medical and medicine and relief stuff because they had these, right. these shipments coming in from from India, and um, so so that's the world's world's got a black eye. He's over here saying, "I'm just trying to make these people not sick and feed them," and here you are, like. Preventing that from happening, yeah. Preventing that from happening. And so he just makes the world look like a bunch of dicks, like right out the gate. And then he's but, still tr- yeah. still trying to do other crazy stuff, too, because he's trying to build a space elevator in Africa. That's right, and yeah. And, and there's there's rumors going around that... The fusion reactor. Yeah, that and Harada is allocating funding to that instead of... Uh, you know, providing proper uh, food and medical resources for the people he's supposedly protecting. So, um, you know, Harada knows that there's not going to be enough food and stuff for everyone, that people are going to die, and he's going to go ahead and he's going to blame that on the rest of the world, too, you know, while he's building his space elevator and nuclear reactor, what have you. So, very cool stuff from Imperium, very cool um, 
Now, I suppose it's time to change gears just a little and talk about a very special sci-fi coming out uh, that's, that, that came out uh, uh, from Valiant. It's, it's uh, a part two. I've read part one, and it was absolutely fascinating. But uh, hopefully you can illuminate us, Holden, on Divinity Part 2. Right. So in Divinity Part 2, you learn that Abram... or yeah, I believe his name. Yeah, his name's Abram, yeah. He he was not the only person sent on a mission by Soviet Russia out into like pretty much the abyss of space. And um and what he ends up is they ended up landing on this crazy ass thing and he goes ahead and he ends up taking off his, you know, his helmet and and, and somehow he's just granted this cr- like pretty much like omniscient power and like and then within that first book, he became the most powerful being in in uh, in the Valiant universe. But he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one that was there. There were two others. Um, the woman who was on the mission with him, which this is why we have the internet. God love it. Imperial. I, I remember reading the... Uh the little preview that they have at the end of certain issues, and it was so trippy. It was so cool. Um, they're on this planet, uh, the other side of the universe, for God's sakes, and, and uh, she picks up a blade of purple grass, and the grass is, like, sentient, and it, it turns into a face, and it just says, What? <laughs> like what? Like what do you want? You know, and it like freaks her out, and then she's just like, "We're gonna die here." <laughs> <laughs> so trippy, though. So cool. Yeah. So this this other woman who uh, was on this mission, she she ends up getting the same abilities, but she's like a diehard like believes in the Soviet cause. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, is she comes back to Earth, and she goes and she meets up with Vladimir Putin. And she's like, let's go ahead and bring back the glory days. So what happens is she goes ahead and rigs, like, the world markets and, like, everything. Um, and it's just, like, catastrophic. Other people are losing all this money. Russia all of a sudden becomes, like, far more wealthy. Um, and then, like, their enemies around the areas of there start getting, like, like messed up in certain ways. And, and it's crazy. So what happens is... um is that they had some spies in with um, uh, Ninjak, and then uh, Ninja L was there. Ninja L gets caught by her, and he ends up like, this guy gets erased. And wow. so and so Ninjak has to, like, book, get the fuck out. And when he does, he, he meets up with uh, Neville and the rest of the Unity team, the EXO and uh, and Livewire. Mm-hmm. And they, they talk it over, like, how the hell are we going to do this? Like, this woman has all the powers of, of divinity, they're like, well, I don't know. Maybe we can ask him. And they think they captured him in the first divinity, right? And what happened was he's just he just he chose to live there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like his home. So, so like all of a sudden he just appears behind him. He's like, oh well, I'll go talk to her. I'll see if I can help you with this. They're like, oh okay. So he disappears and he goes to talk to her, right? And he goes ahead and he just like uses his powers and sets things kind of the way they were. And she's like, oh yeah, well, I have so much power. So they get into this conflict and. It's funny because they both have the same omniscient powers and they can't destroy each other. And Abram goes ahead and he, and over this process, she keeps going back in time trying to change things. But time travel in the Valiant universe isn't, 
as messy and chaotic as it is in Marvel or DC, where if you go back in time, you do one thing, there's a butterfly effect, and everything changes. Right, right. In, in Valiant Comics, time is more like a river, and it flows, forwards. And if you go ahead and you try to change the course of it by, say, throwing a rock in, it's going to just cause a few ripples, but the river will continue to flow in one direction. I like that, yeah. So... So what happens is she goes back in time trying to change the past, change the past, and change the past. And, and no matter what she does, even with all this omniscient power, she can't. And and he tells her that like if you, the only things you can do to go ahead in, in the past is you can only change your very minor things. But for some people, it makes a huge difference. So she was just trying to do all this stuff, and she was trying to get rid of them. And what Abram does is he ends up going back in time himself and then he shows her and he does this simple act of kindness for her when she was a child because she was homeless living on the streets of Moscow. Yeah. And he gives her this necklace and he just gives it to her and then she goes and she remembers that it was him. And and then it kind of, she calms down and things kind of come together and then Divinity like decides to go ahead and 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 help her ease into this transition and, and that like, like they have the powers of gods, but they have the minds of humans, so, like, they can't really comprehend what they can truly do because their consciousness is that of human beings. So, wow. So it, it was really, really deep. They had this great th- thought-provoking provo- discussion, and it was it was really, really good. And they're getting ready to uh, – I'm starting to see previews already for Divinity 3. Ho, ho, ho. And um, I'm, I'm seeing some, some subtopics. They're talking about uh, Stalinverse. Whoa! Yeah, so I don't know what they're gonna do, but I've seen some of the the photo, well, some of the drawings and stuff, like for covers and stuff, and it's and it looks like like they have uh, bloodshot soldiers, but instead of that that red circle in the chest, it's a red star. Wow! Like Soviet Russia stuff. So, that's that's way cool. So I mean, it, it was a really good read. Uh, four issues. I wouldn't be surprised if they had it in trade paperback already, because Valiant goes ahead and. That's one of the nice things about Valiant is almost every single story arc they do is four issues. Everything. So, so perfect. Cause like, if you can tell, like, part, I th- I'd say part of, uh, being, you know, a solid writer in the medium would be, you, you gotta be able to tell a story arc and make it exciting and g- make it gripping within a, f- Four to five issues, you know, or you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose people. Oh, so this is one of the wicked nice things about it. Cause like, if you can go ahead and put all that plot in the four books, in theory, you can go ahead and put out three story arcs a year. Which is great, cause you know, um, books are released monthly. So, four books is four months, and you know, so three arcs a year. Exactly. And it works really w- well, and it keeps things moving along, and you don't feel st- like anything stale. Whereas with some of these arcs, with the uh, if they're like like six books long, they tend to drag. The only real interesting issues tend to be kind of like the first one and the last one. Yeah, so they got a good formula going, and they're definitely following it still. And it's it's been it's been really good. They know what they're doing over at Valiant. So, I have not read, read Divinity 2 yet. I've only read Divinity 1. 
but I cannot wait to pick that up and trade paperback. It's going to be fantastic. The artwork alone is just so cool, so trippy. I love it. Um, now let's talk about another uh, flagship sci-fi, probably the flagship sci-fi uh, that Valiant has to offer. Um, their big fucking go-to powerhouse hero, Exo Manowar. Yeah, so Erica Demencia, he's definitely their number one character. Um, they're, they're starting to hype up issue number 50. It's the longest run they've had. Robert Vendetti's been writing it the entire time. And it is one of the most satisfying runs of anything I've ever read. Oh, Robert Vendetti's a sci-fi guru. Uh, he's also, he writes Green Lantern and The Flash over at DC. I don't know if he's still writing Green Lantern and The Flash. I don't know who's writing Rebirth stuff. Uh, he's writing Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns, I believe. Okay, so he's still writing the Hal Jordan book. Um, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a real sci-fi guru, uh, and, and he's, Really done a particularly fantastic job on Exo Man of War. Right. Um, let's go back and let's discuss the Vine again. Um, so the Vine, the Vine are an, an alien race. They're kind of plant aliens. They look like ants. Uh, like we said, they have that uh, collective consciousness. Right. Um, and and they have everything to do with Exo Man of War because the the armor that he wears. Is they worshipped it as a god, the vine did, and they believed that the one day the greatest warrior would go ahead and and don the armor and lead them into the future. Well, it turns out that the warrior that donned on the armor and would lead them in the future was actually a human being. So, uh, things have been kind of kind of crazy with the vine a little lately. So, um, in a going uh, back several months, uh. Probably a little later last year, they had a story arc called uh, Planet Death. And Planet Death was about the armor hunters. Um, not the actual armor hunters arc itself, but the armor hunters were this group that were put themselves together to go ahead and kill off these armors. Because what it does is the armor is actually like uh, an organic virus that slowly takes over its host and then turns it into another armor eventually and what happens is is uh oh, wait a minute what was i saying sorry <laughs> i just lost train of thought well um the thing about these armor hunters is they their view on that armor is it's a virus that needs to be eradicated and that's why they're hunting down these armors exo manowar and uh you know, ev any other entities throughout the universe that uh, wear armors like that. Um, uh, yes, yes. So what happens is the armor hunters are completely eradicated and defeated. So what they what happens is is they go ahead and they had something put in place called the um, oh geez the the I think it was the dead hand dead hand yep yeah dead hand protocols. So what they did it was, was like a backup. Uh, plan in case they failed. It was a giant sentient uh, robot machine network monster mega weapon. Yeah, <laughs> that its um its sole purpose was to go ahead and collect biological samples from from worlds infected by the armor, 
and then raise the planet, just destroy the planet. And then when all the armor is destroyed, the dead hand is supposed to go ahead and is supposed to find a way to repopulate worlds with these with these creatures, which is it's a nice enough thought. But with the in the process, they're they're committing genocides on 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 the massive scale on worlds, right? And what happened was why this is important is because they end up going to the Vine homeworld. They end up going to the Vine homeworld and they go ahead and they just destroy the Vine homeworld. Then the Vine have to get the hell out of there. There's a mass exodus. Which leads to Exodus, which is the next arc that follows that. Absolutely. Yes. So, so during, during that, um, Eric has, a, he finds a way and he allies himself with other armors within the universe, cause I guess they're out there, and they go ahead and they join together and they, they, they destroy the, the dead hand, but now you have all these refugees on, on, on Earth now. Because what happens right. is there's, there's this situation with a vine. They come there because Eric said that he would defend them, and Eric's stuck in a rock and hard place because the uh, his armor Shanhara um, is of the vine. Um, so he feels a connection to the vine that, and, and, and he is their protector and they worship him like a god because of this armor. They, see the thing about the vine is like over the course of thousands of years, they have tried to send their best warriors to, uh, bond with Shenhara and each time, uh, that that happens, uh, each vine that, that tries to bond with this armor has, has died a very gory and mutilating death. But for some odd reason, the armor bonded with Eric, like, completely fine, and he becomes Exo Manowar. So, no now... Issues. So, but then when they get to Earth, they have to deal with, uh, the, the organization put together to deal with the alien threats on Earth, which Eric kind of works for directly. Yeah, Gate. Gate. Uh, with Colonel Capsha and... And the gang. And the gang. And she's always up his ass. And then, so then they, they finally arrive at Eric's trying to garner peace between Gate and everyone on Earth and still find a way for the Vine uh, to go ahead and, and live in harmony with his people who he had re- liberated from the Vine homeworld. The Visigoths. The, 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 the Visigoths that were, had been abducted. So you got the Visigoths, the only place that the government is going to let the Vine live, temporarily at least, is on the same land that er- Eric was able to score for the Visigoth people. So now the Visigoth people are building a fence. They're trying to keep the Vine out. And and the vine just want to live there peacefully, you know. And uh, yeah. they got they got the uh, the armor corps or the armorines. Armorines, yeah. Sorry, yes. the armorines uh, doing patrols to make sure that there's no, no one vi- messes with them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, sure enough, you know, it doesn't take long for hell to break loose. And mm-hmm. then the all throughout this. You have the real big bad guy, the real manipulator behind all this, Commander Trill, who is trying to start a war and trying to get all those Vine that have survived on his side, talking to them through the collective consciousness, saying, Exo Man of War is our enemy, 
we need to kill him. He's not, you know, he's, he's sided with the humans on earth. He's not going to, uh, protect you. I'm going to protect you. Right. He and starts, the whole reason he denounces the high priest and as yep. well. And and the whole reason for this is because Commander Trill is jealous that Eric was able to bond with the armor. It, his whole life, ever since he was a little kid, Commander Trill felt that he was the rightful heir to Shanhara, the armor. So he's always wanted to kill Exo Man of War and steal the armor back because of that. And he is waging war. Yeah, and then he's geez, he's a he's a, a villain. Call back from the very first story arc, Exo Man of War. Right. When, when Eric was abducted himself and was made to work on the, the planting fields on, on the, uh, the, the prison ship that, that, that ship and for some reason had the, the Exo armor on it. So Trill, he's, he's wicked pissed. So what happens is there's, there's an international incident. The, the, the high priest of the vine, who's pretty much the leader of the vine at the time, gets shot by a vine planting, um, rogue, eight, well, secret agent, really. Yeah. And what happens then is this, it's this whole tentative thing. The vine are like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? Who do we follow? Uh, but the the high priest can go ahead and still speak within the collective. But he can't. He can't. He's not. He's not conscious. He's just. He's fucked up. He's he got shot. He's fucked up. Yeah. So meanwhile, this is just this wicked, fragile situation, and that starts off the. The story arc called the Kill List, and um, Eric goes ahead and he 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 joins forces again with Ninjak. With Ninjak, it, that was such a cool arc. And yeah. they start going um, fine going after all these vine planting safe houses, and they're just wasting people and making making sure that Trill knows they're the ones who did. He's taking pictures with the other vine planting cell phones, like. Hi, we're we're looking for you, like <laughs> yeah. straight up, like letting them know, like, hey, we're coming and you can't stop us. Yeah. But then in the end, Trill has his um his two kind of right hand men plantings go ahead and kill a bunch of the vine plantings who are who are part of the collective. They're asleep within the collective, and it's like the one of the biggest sins that you can do to a vine is kill one when he's communing with everyone else. Right. And. So they make it look like Ninjak and Exo killed everybody, and now that just it's just things are getting ready to be like a big mess. And then coming under Trill really kind of had the the upper hand at the end of that arc, and then so I'll be interesting to see what happens next. Um, they're getting ready. I guess there's going to be a really big event with Exo Manowar number fifty, and um, if I'm not. I believe they're going to they're going to give Exo Man of War a rest or finally conclude his run on issue number fifty. Oh, interesting. So he'll still be part of the Valiant U because not everybody has their own book, but that's one of the nice things about Valiant is their large cast of characters go ahead and they they communicate and cross over with each other regularly, like everybody. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Even if the book concludes, which it very well would, should, or not should, but it very well, very well might, uh, you'll still see XO, you know, perhaps if Unity starts up again, or who knows, whatever arcs, uh, he's not going away. Um, and then another character in Valiant that is not going away anytime soon, or probably ever, 
is Bloodshot. Yeah. Written by our, one of our favorite uh, industry creators, Jeff Lemire. That's right. Yeah, that guy is so busy. So many creator owns and everything. But uh, he went, at, uh, went up and picked up the Bloodshot book. And uh, it's called Bloodshot Reborn right now. And right. the premise is that... Uh, so Ray Palmer, well, the believed—that's his believed identity. Ray Garrison. Is it Ray Garrison? Yeah, Ray Palmer's the Adam. We always confuse that. It's okay. Ah, well, anyway, Ray Garrison. He, he coming out of the arc of uh, the Valiant, he he ended up having the nanites um, pushed, removed from his body by the by the geomancer at the time before she passed away. Um, so. So he's a normal human guy. Yeah, he's just, he's just Ray Garrison, and he's having trouble dealing with that. You know, he's in this flea bag motel room. He's doing a lot of drugs and drinking. Just you know, he doesn't know who he is. He's got all these memories from all the times Project Rising Spirit have messed with his head and rebooted the nanites. He so so you know he's not doing too well. No. At this stage of the game, at the beginning of uh, Bloodshot Reborn. However, he finds a purpose very quickly. Um, since the Nanites have spread uh, across, you know, across the United States, um, different people have absorbed them and they have become killers. Yeah. They- and Bloodshot Ray Garrison, I guess at this point in time, realizes that he needs to hunt down all these people that have the nanites and collect them all and become bloodshot again because he's the only one who, who can, can handle them. who can handle them exactly yeah. to prevent all these murders or, or to try to stop these murders from keep happening um he's got to go on a hunt that's right so he does he goes he he um he kills all the people with the who have the nanites within them, and he, he he brings them into his own being. Only this time he's got a little bit more control than he had. So right. he goes, he does that, and they decides that he's going to go live on a farm, often, often some like uh like in California, nice little little farm. So then, yeah, that's right. Yep. So then that starts off the analog man arc, and. First time you see him, he's in the future. They're living out on the farm. They're this the the world's gotten super technological, um, and he he has to go and do water runs and stuff. And yeah, it's almost like the Road Warrior or uh, the latest installment, Mad Max Fury Road. It feels a lot like Fury Road because he's the. He's got the old truck with the, but he's still got the, still bloodshot, but he's got to carry the weapons and he has yeah. to go and do these runs to get water. And each time he's like, back. he's like fairly certain he's not going to come back, you know, but, but he doesn't let anyone know that because like everyone has their faith in him, you know, his family and everything. So eventually he comes back, finds out everyone's been slaughtered, ends up getting meeting up with old man Ninjack. They're going to try to break into the city and try to end things once and for all. And they go, and he they, he goes and he accomplishes things, but then he kind of like wakes up, and then he kind of realizes that that he's in a simul and he's in a simulation. He he wakes up, and it turns out he's on this island called Bloodshot Island, and Project Rising Spirit 
is is in control of that island and what happens is all the other bloodshots from the long timeline are being held on that island and there's this being there that Project Rising Spirit has control over and every day they send out the bloodshots and then the being comes in kills the bloodshots and then the they go recover everybody put them back in the bloodshots regenerate and then the next day they do the very same thing <laughs> so so dastardly but so cool yeah, and uh so that's kind of where he's at right now. And uh but it's been a really really interesting run. Um I mean Bloodshot's kind of like I don't know, flagships are kind of exo in in Bloodshot like you said. And I believe Bloodshot for the movie deal that they signed, I believe Bloodshot's going to be the very first film that's released. So. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that. That is just going to be so epic. I can't wait to see who plays him. That'd be interesting. Yeah, the, I don't even. Well, it might be some time. I mean, I don't know. I think it's. We'll probably start hearing a lot more about it within the next year or two. Well, I heard a little something like Will Ferrell was going to be playing Bloodshot. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not even like that funny of a joke. Um, no. Uh, anything Jeff Lemire writes, you really can't go wrong. But you know, Jeff Lemire is very strong uh, in regards to science fiction, and and you can tell that there are a lot of sci-fi elements in the Bloodshot arcs he's been writing. So, um, highly, highly recommend Bloodshot Reborn. It's been great. Um, so you know, we've been talking a lot about Ninjack. He's been coming up in Exo Man of War. He's been coming up in Bloodshot. Uh, it's, let's, let's talk Ninjack. Why not? Nin, yeah. Ninjerk. Yeah, so they went ahead and they finally gave him his own book. He was, he was crossing over like crazy in the beginning. And then, uh, and then they finally went ahead and they gave him his own title. Um, in the very first story arc, they go ahead and they, they tell a backstory to tell you how he got as skilled as he was. And he ends up hunting all these, um, members of this group called Weaponer. Which is yeah. like the leading weapons salesman in the world, but he has something in common with each and every other member of, of that group because every single one of them at one point in time or another ended up, um, receiving enlightenment and training from the undead monk, which is this, right. this monk who's undead, but he sits there and people just are drawn to him and they end up becoming stronger and smarter, renaming themselves. People go there uncomplete, and they leave their hole. And so he goes, and there's this big arc where he has to go ahead and, and go off against every one of them. And there's, uh, I guess they don't know, but there's a, a member of Weaponer that 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 has his... his um, his life, his vital signs linked to an atomic weapon and if he dies then 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 it goes off which is bad so he he goes and he finds a way to, and he defeats all these guys and it's like whoa and then right after that it was the the really 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 good story arc that i really enjoyed was the was the uh the operation dead operation side. dead side oh such a good arc another reason that i loved it too is because they go ahead and reintroduce shadow man shadow man hasn't really had any Role since since he finished up. Um, when Shadow Man left off, he had a a very short miniseries where he ends up going into Dead Side and he's looking for his father because he finds out his father is alive because he wants to kill his father. So he 
he's goes, he can't find him in the voodoo lands. So what happens is he goes and he makes his deal with Mr. Dark. And who's a real, real evil baddie. Yeah. He's As, like, if you remember Book of Death, especially. He's just like a mega necromancer. So he goes ahead and he's like, all right, well, you work for me, but I'll tell you where your father is. So he tells him and he goes and he kills his father, but he doesn't get any closure and he just feels like ass afterwards. And then after that, I mean, he's in indentured servitude. So Master Dark goes ahead, puts a, puts a hex on him and, and he, he's just stuck. And if he doesn't do um, Master Dark's will, he, he just gets into this uncontrollable pain. And instead of being known as the Shadow Man, the the one who who has the the Shadow Loa, he's which is like a voodoo god. Yeah, the, he's, he becomes known as the Magpie. Yeah. So, and his job is to go ahead and and gather all these artifacts for for when his master returns. So, they end up heading over there because some mystical artifact was was stolen from from vaults um held by MI6 so they have to head over to deadside so what happens is uh they get ninjack they refit him with all these cool weapons and a all, new suit and a new suit yeah because deadside is just like inhospitable it's crazy but then they also go ahead and they recruit the the talents of punk mambo who went on the original mission, and the only reason they sent her back was this um, was uh, the Magpie's minion allowed her to live, so that like, hey, don't come back. And she ends up coming back, and she ends up um, she's kind of a voodoo shaman herself. So what she does is she gains control over a, a Loa that's powerful enough to help her, but not strong enough to really ruin her. So they, she now um, let's just pause for two seconds and explain what a loa is. A loa is the equivalent of like a voodoo spirit or god. Yes, and different ones have dominion over different areas. Um, the shadow loa, incredibly famous, is bonded to Shadow Man, right, and allows him incredibly powerful. And so, what happens is, uh, so they go, they head over to Dead Side to go ahead and. And find these people and bring them back, and because yes, yeah, one of the one of the members of Weaponer, I believe, was captured. And what happened is the Shadow Man was told that, or the Magpie was told that if he went ahead and and gathered all these these items and certain people and then sacrificed them, it would allow him to leave Deadside and return, and 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 he wouldn't have to worry about being under Master Dark's control anymore. So they go in, they they arrive, like dead size is just insane, the events that happen there are nuts. Um they end up running into this old uh being on Dead Side, which is like this living island, and it walks through like the biggest city in Dead Side, and they both go and they get confront each other and Ninjack ends up finding a way to go ahead and defeat him and then bring him back to the other side. So all of a sudden Jack Boniface is back in the picture. Which is way cool, cause like, you know, I can just, I can just feel a Shadow Man title brewing for the, for the close future. Absolutely. So, and then from, from there, then you go into, um, what is it? Sea Junking Castle, right? Mm-hmm. And in this, um, he, he, uh, Colin King, Ninjack is being set up. His home's been destroyed. All of his accounts have been drained. 
Um, all his resources are just getting completely messed up. Somebody wants him to be miserable. And, and so he goes and he's, he's hunting people down because he's still got all these crazy good skills. And he goes down the rabbit hole and eventually you find out that Roku, the, the, the woman from the very first Ninja the weapon, arc. the weaponier arc, and she's got that, uh, that, that, uh, hair. That living hair that's, that's, just, that's like, it'll kill you. Yeah, it's like indestructible it, and can do anything, yeah. She'll, she'll cold cock you with that hair. Slice. She'll cold Slice. cock. Slice. <laughs> yeah, so. And then, um, the arc hasn't concluded yet, but it's starting to look like, like Roku also was, was, um, a student of the undead monk, and mm. she has this idea in her head that, She's going to go ahead and help Ninjak by freeing him of all his earthly possessions and all these things so that he can finally be free. But, like, she's a funny way of showing it because, like, Ninjak gets blown up and everything. So he ends up and he's, he finally meets up with her and the things are, like, kind of nuts. And uh, I'm just kind of waiting to see where things go from there because I guess, uh, from what I heard, his life's not getting any easier <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah. Now, Ninjak's always a great read. You know, he's, he's sort of like a cross between James Bond, Deathstroke, Deadpool. I mean, he, he's cocky. He's funny. He's, you know, he's just a really cool character, uh, to read about. Uh, I love Ninjak, or I like to call him Ninjerk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hilarious, I know. I'll be here all day. But, uh, but yeah, great, great read. Highly recommend that, taking Ninjak off the shelf. And, uh, when, uh, Siege on King's Castle, uh, ends, it'd be a great, uh, jumping on point because they'll be starting a new story arc for that. So, um, now let's turn our attention to Ivar. The Time Walker. Right. So after Archer and Armstrong concluded, Ivar Time Walker began. And Ivar is the oldest brother out of uh, the Anapata family, which includes himself, Ivar, Aram, or everyone knows as Armstrong, mm-hmm. and Galad, which is the Eternal Warrior. And these three immortal brothers, but Ivar is, um, he, even though they're from the, the ancient city of, what is it, Ur? It's, it's the same city from Gilgamesh. Anyway. Yeah, I can't remember at the moment. He goes and he's going through time and he, the story, it's, uh, lasted for 12 issues and it, it told the story about how he's trying to help this woman. Um, to prevent her from inventing in finding a way to prevent time from correcting itself. Because as I explained before, time is like a river in, in, um, in valiant continuity. But she found a way to go ahead and make it so that things could be permanently changed. Right. Her name's Neela Seti. She right. is, I think she's an Indian woman. And what happens is that, um, these uh, beings from the fifth dimension who are loyal to the Null Sect, which are trying to bring about nothingness throughout the entire universe, are trying to get her so that they can use her abilities and go ahead and make it so that the world just nothing exists anymore. And they end up going throughout time 
and trying to find find out how to go ahead and prevent these beings from doing these things. And in the meantime, she ends up like finding out and trying uh, like how time works. And she tries to change the past and save her father, like a minor detail, and they just wouldn't let her. Yeah, the cool thing about that, not to cut you off, but just real quick, is they mention uh, one of the Stephen Hawking's theories uh, in the issue where that happens, where uh, um, if you try to change something in the time-space continuum, the universe will always, always correct it back to the way it was. So her attempts to do so are futile. Right. And it's really cool to think about because you throw in some real life, uh, physics theory from, from, you know, a viable source like Stephen Hawking into this comic book story and it makes it just all that more believable, you know, like not that the story itself is believable, it's fiction, but I just found it to be a really cool element of the tale. What gets really good. So the, it's like, like halfway through the series, it kind of, like, uh, we get, I don't know, a couple climaxes in this book. Cause, in the first time, it turns out that Neela from the future is actually the villain who's trying to make this stuff happen, but she needs to get her younger self to go ahead and create the thing to create the null loop so that the, um, the null sect can go ahead and just wipe out all, all possible timelines. Yeah, the Prometheans. And, um, so they go back in time and they're living with these, the, they run into the dinosaur men and they take on a dinosaur sidekick who's a woman that looks like an ankylosaur, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the time space, uh, continuum at that point was a little messed up where, you know, they're back, what, in, in, in like Roman times, but dinosaurs are intelligent yeah. and, and they're the and ones they running exist. things. So it was kind of neat. It was definitely very out of the box. Uh, I think Fred Van Lente writes that one. Am I right on that? He did. He also yeah. wrote the original Archer and Armstrong run. Right. And he's a very, very much a very, uh, out of the box thinker himself. But, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, not to. Well, Valiant, Valiant's got, uh, got him signed up. I believe he's, he's going to be doing the Generation Zero book. Oh, nice. That's going to be solid. We'll get into that. I mean, we'll get into that pronto, but. Yeah, I mean, I really liked Time Walker. They go ahead and by the end, like, they're, they had, they told this love story between Ivar and Neela, and in the end, they find that the only way that the universe can coexist is if, like, yes, they're in love, but like, there's no way that the both of them can be in contact at all. <laughs> right, exactly. And then at the end, Ivar kind of, creates a time infraction where he does go back in time to see Neela one last time and he sees himself too but he uh breaks a rule um where I guess you're not supposed to do that if you're like you know the, the immortal time walker so you know he's sitting at that bar in Japan um and I don't know if you'd what you'd call him the time police or whatever, and he's like crying, and he's like, you know, f- fucking take me to time jail, you know, already. Like he already knows what's coming up, and that's the end of the arc. Right. Well, what happened is, um, he he was kind of displaced in time at the very beginning when you find out about the origin of like all these abilities that the Anapata brothers have. Um, Ivar chose to use. The, the boon, which was found in the, the f- far away, I believe. And 
and it's this extra dimensional place, but they had the boon. This, the boon's this thing that can really give people tons of power and allow them to live forever. But the problem is what it does, it sucks out the soul of every other living thing. So, like, like you can die as many times as you want. You just live forever. And this is kind of why uh, Aram from Archer and Armstrong, all he does is just get drunk all the time because he just can't handle, like, the pain of being alive. Yeah, and he's got all those souls. Like, you know, uh, it's like if you if you were in a video game and you had, like, unlimited lives, you know what I mean? Same deal. Yeah. So, so. but during uh, one of the Archer and Armstrong arcs, you find out that Ivar was being held captive in the faraway and... They end up finding a way to release him, and then he ends up becoming part of the present timeline because he can go back in time, and he's pretty immortal himself. Right. Um, so it was uh, kind of nuts, those guys, and he ends up meeting the people from the future who worship, Ar- worship Archer. Oh, that's right. That's right. Obadiah the, the, Archer. Those are the ones that go ahead and they imprison him, and, uh, and then from there it, uh, they kind of conclude it because – but Ivar's, Ivar's, I believe, is more really good supporting character. Typically, but that that run they did have was was a very cool, very trippy sci-fi adventure. I loved it. Oh, I loved it too. It, it was wicked solid. I just don't think something like that can be maintained over an extended period of time. No, no, I agree with you 110. percent But um, I love you know when you would pop up in something like say. Archer and Armstrong, which just got rebooted. Yeah, I'm so happy. That was like my favorite Valiant book. I love me some Archer and Armstrong. So, um, they've been doing this arc, uh, since it got rebooted where Archer, Obadiah Archer, is looking for Armstrong. He can't find him and turns out Armstrong went inside of his satchel. His magic satchel. And he's in there and he's, um, Armstrong's depressed because he's remembering times of this buddy that he had from like the early 40s as his old sidekick from back then. And he's looking for a really old, rare bottle of whiskey. So what happens is, is there's all sorts of crazy, insane things in this, in this satchel. And he goes, he's looking around in there and then they get, now, Archer finally, um, he gets in contact with Mary Maria, who they were both part of the same sect for a while, and Mary Maria goes ahead and agrees to keep an eye on the satchel while, while Archer goes in to find Armstrong. Now, isn't Mary Maria, uh, Archer's sister? Uh, well, stepsister. Stepsister, and he's got this well, adopted odd, sister. Yeah. Adopted sister, but he's got this like, uh, like odd crush on her and yeah. stuff too. But that's not really pertinent to what we're talking about. No, well, I mean, it, 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 it's part of the story. It's part of the story, though. But anyways, yeah. So he goes in there, and he's got like tons of cheap bottles of liquor, and there's goblins living in there, sorting stuff out. Well, turns out that uh, um, the ancient um, god of wine Bachus is. Aram was hanging out with him way back in the day and stuffed him into his sack, and he's just been imprisoned in his satchel for like 5,000 years. <laughs> so they go ahead, and in order to take vengeance on him, um, Bachus goes ahead, and, and he hooks them all up to like these these hoses and starts pouring like just the swill booze that's been in the thing and force-feeding them, and Archer gets wicked harem, all hammered. Armstrong's relatively unaffected because he can get as drunk as he wants. He can drink way above the legal limit. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he won't die. So 
All of a sudden, he finds out the satchel's open. Bachus goes ahead and gets out new into the New York City, and he he runs into people who are partying. And the more people party, the more powerful and huge he becomes because he's a, he's a party god. And, right. But the way Armstrong describes, like, oh well, no, he's just a really, really immortal, powerful being. He's not God. Um. So. They go, and then it's just things just turn into whole, like straight ridiculousness. Like the Sisters of Mercy end up trying to help them, and and then all the people who are partying are brainwashed by Bachus, and they have to find a way to defeat them. So they they find this giant truck full of hot coffee, <laughs> and and they force feed him it, and and as he starts to sober up, he becomes smaller and easier to kill. And, and they throw down, and, just, and it ends beautifully. And then it leaves um, room for some future stuff. You find out that Armstrong might have an immortal wife still in the world. Um, and that you also get to see, look into the, the personal life of Archer, because he grew up in a wicked conservative kind of cult. That's right. He, he hasn't really had much experience with romance and women. And... So he's been, you know, trying to get in touch with, you know, the world and integrate with people. So he's been carrying on conversations with Faith while she's been living in California. So you got that cool um, dynamic there, and it looks like they're going to be kind of a uh, a power couple for the of the future, which is pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, I have a feeling that's the way uh, things are. That's what, where things are headed. Absolutely. And uh, hell, while we're on the topic of Faith. Uh, she just got her own book. Uh, an ongoing one, too. An, on, an ongoing one. Uh, about six months ago, uh, it started up. Let's uh, let's dive into Faith. Let's see what's going on with Zephyr uh, since she left the Renegades and left Torque. Yeah. Um, so what happened was she she moved to Cal- Los Angeles, and she got a disguise, and she got a job working for... For um, like a gossip site, I think it's called like Zipline. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like the equivalent of probably like a BuzzFeed or something. Exactly, it's like a pop culture blog. So she's like a professional blogger, but she she wants to be a news reporter, but she doesn't have the right credentials. Right. So and you know she's lucky she got this blogging gig. Um, so she like does the whole secret identity thing. Where, uh, she's wearing like, you know, a red wig and glasses, kind of doing like a Clark Kent type thing, uh, going under the name Summer Smith. Yeah. I think it's her name, Summer Smith. Um, close enough. <laughs> you know, and, and then at nighttime, of course, uh, or, or when she's not working, she's on patrol as Zephyr. She saves a bunch of puppies from a bunch of puppy thieves. Which is um, good. And then, and then she ends up uncovering this conspiracy, this branch of vine plantings who act way more culty than the other blind vine plantings. Right. Had this, uh, they're living in Hollywood and they're, they got everything together and they, they're kidnapping people and it gets kind of messed up. But in the end, they eventually throw down and they end up winning and they're like, oh, well, and then, you know, this is where you kind of learn that faith is the conscience of the valiant universe because she believes in and in, in, in injustice and not really hurting people. So, like, she's like the equivalent of, like, 
The like, Flash for DC, maybe, or Superman for DC. Yeah, like Flash or Superman. Or like Captain or Sp- America for Marvel. Yeah, Spider-Man no. for Marvel. Spider-Man for Marvel. Spider-Man's yeah. the, I think, is like the most morally sound hero. Yeah, you're right. Universe. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so that now they have her though, and that's her role, which this is actually like wicked important because in Valiant Comics, they're not afraid to kill off characters. People, they're not afraid to write in stories where people die gruesome, horrible deaths. Um, the whole Valiant line, for the most part, is mature readers only. And here we have is an, a book with a, a different tone than most of the other books. Is good, wholesome. She deals with the semi-regular things. Plus, it's unique in that it, it's the main character is a plus-size woman, which is absolutely unheard of. And she's a fangirl, which is fun. You know about that too, and I, I think it, it went. It was received so well that that's why they went ahead and made it into an ongoing. I believe the ongoing started a couple weeks ago, and so it, things are gonna be real interesting. I hope they keep the they keep the same lighthearted tone, and and it's just good because it's a more interesting story because stories like this haven't really been told. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, you look at the way women are portrayed in the medium, you know, they're, they're pretty much all portrayed as scantily clad, uh, hourglass Barbie lookalikes. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. all fit the same mold. And then you got, you got faith, you know, it's, it's more realistic. Um, more realistic body types. Yeah. I, uh, I dig faith. I think she's great. I can't wait to keep seeing, uh, what goes on in that in that title? So that'll be good. I'm I'm hoping they get some decent crossover stuff with the Renegade book that's coming out. Well, what do we know about the Renegade book so far? Do we know anything yet, or is that just something we're anticipating? All I've seen is images. I know Pierce Stanchek's going to come back. They're going to bring back Chris, Torque, and Faith, and then they're probably going to end up adding other psyots to the team. Okay, Eventually. which will be cool. It's always cool to see some new psyots. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, they were dealing with, uh, Harada's nonsense over in Somalia. Who knows? Uh, can't wait to read that one. Um, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, for another new book to anticipate, uh, we have what we were talking about before in regards to Gen- Generation Zero and uh, Project Rising Spirit. I've been looking forward to a Generation Zero book for like three years now. Ever since I found out about them and read about them during the Harbinger Wars arc. Yeah. It was, I was just, it just made sense that they should totally do it. And it took some time and eventually the, the kids ended up getting released and saved towards the end of the Harbinger first run. Mm-hmm. So then now you have all the Gen Zero kids who were pretty much like straight up blood cold, cold blooded killers trained by Project Rising Spirit and made to do terrible things against their will. Well, now, now these characters are, are free to go ahead and exist within the Marvel universe, well, not Marvel, the Valiant universe. Um, on their own in their own title, and it's, it's which gonna, is way cool. It's gonna look like it's gonna be really good. Now oh, that that just sounds excellent. I can't wait to pick that one up off the racks. 
So just a few more titles here that we want to go over in regards to Valiant. To, to, to just a few more titles that that we absolutely must go over. Let's uh, change gears just a little bit and uh, let's see um, who and what uh, Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, has been hacking up with his battle axe as of late. Oh, so last time we saw him was the end of the Valiant. He ends up helping. Or I thought it was Book of Death. No, he, we saw. Yeah, Book of Death. He, no, it was a Book of Death. You're yeah, right. he he died in the Book of Death, protecting the Geomancer from uh, Master Dark. And then, in turn, the Geomancer found a way to defeat Master Dark and imprisoned, sealed him within a tree. That's right. Um, so it when the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior, his his, uh, I believe this is like kind of like the second. Volume because they they gave uh, Eternal Warrior a crack uh, a couple of years ago and they discontinued it and then then it came back again. Yeah, here and what happens at the beginning is you see he's um, Glad is in a place kind of like his own private heaven and he's there with all of his children and his his first wife and I guess they they, they kind of explain that every time he dies on Earth. He he ends up going back to this place. This is his his final reward. But he he has the ability to become the fist and steel of the earth should he choose it. Right. So, in order to go back, he has to walk through this path with this this limbo area and defeat this gigantic demon monster called Humongous. And he he has to defeat him every time. It's never easy, and it gets harder every time. But he always ends up winning because. He, he actually is fighting for something. Right. And it, the first part, it kind of tells you about his relationship with his family and, and everything and how upset they are that he, he comes and, and, and goes so often. And, but he goes and he defeats him and he's going to go back and save the Geomancer. And he finally defeats Humongous, but then it turns out that he, he wakes up and he's this in this lab. And, and this guy's been like kind of experimenting on him because he's getting him to like go through the labyrinth. And, uh, I believe the arc's almost finished, but I haven't, uh, touched on it too much. But it, so far, it's, it's, it's on point. A very unique story. Oh, yeah. If, if you're, uh, if you're a fan of the Eternal Warrior and, you know, you're a fan of him hacking up demons. That's uh the first arc right there in a nutshell. It's great, and the artwork is so cool. You know, it just... I love the way the demons are portrayed, and Humongous is portrayed. Um, it's a very metal book, you know, a very... <laughs> a very uh, Heavy metal! Oh, yeah, yeah, it's very much so. Um, just smashing demons with axes. Yeah, that's that's like, you know... The no nonsense demon smashing book that Valiant has. I highly recommend that one too. Off the racks. Well, so. I mean, they're all good. Oh, they're all good, but they're. I you mean, know. this is pretty much every title that they offer. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, when we do casts about Marvel and DC, it would be an impossibility to cover every single title that they put out. Plus, there's so many different unique ones that, like, we're not gonna like everything that the the big two put out right. all the time. But in in the case of Valiant, I very I enjoy every series that they have, and I I try to collect everything that they put out. As do I. Uh, here at the Vigilant Geek, we love Valiant. Valiant Comics kick ass. 
Um, and speaking of Valiant Comics that kick ass, uh, just a couple more uh, to mention here. Um, last but certainly not least, um, let's get into some late late continuity uh, in regards to Rye. And in regards to 4001 A.D. Right. So 4001 A.D. is the event that takes place in the future Valiant universe around the year 4000. Um, and I love how they do that, how they, like, you know, uh, give you glimpses of the future. I loved when they were doing Book of Death and they uh, had, like, Book of Death, the fall of Harbinger, the fall of Ninjak, the de- or there was the death of, the death of Ninjak, the death, de- of- death of Exo Manowar, and it was in the future, and it was just so cool. It was wicked cool. Um, but anyways, in regards to four, 4001 AD, what's, what's actually going on right now with that? Because I haven't gotten there yet. So it's been actually building up uh, to a head through the pages of Rod. Um, Rai is the protector of New Japan, which is a gigantic satellite that orbits the Earth, and it's sentient. And, right. Uh, so it's this gigantic sentient uh, thing. And what happens is is that uh, the artificial intelligence that runs New Japan is a father. Uh, every generation, he creates a new Rai that has the with with the skills the uh, a new Rai with the skills that. It needs in order to be the guardian of New Japan. It, it provides the, the whatever New Japan needs at the time. Correct. So, so things have come to a head. Um, Rai ended up opposing Father. Father exiles Rai to Earth, giving him a chance to still kind of live. And then Rai ends up making friends. Meanwhile, the Geomancer and everyone else on the Resistance in New Japan's trying to. Um, put things together, and what happens is is Rai goes and he he's told of a, of a man who can help him, uh, help him defeat Father, and this man is none other than the Eternal Warrior Galad himself. Oh sti- snap! Still alive in four thousand one, and so Galad knows of the, the, these weapons of mass destruction, these gigantic. Exo Manowar armor, like the size of a freaking skyscraper. Wow. Wow. So he takes him to that, and Rai is kind of like future bloodshot, really. He really is, yeah. So he goes and he, he interfaces with this, with this giant Exo Manowar armor, and, um, his, his, his buddy that he met, Lemur, and, and Galad, and they, they go off to New Japan. So, they're they're going up to New Japan, and then meanwhile, um, uh, one of the women who was working with Spylock, en- oh yeah, ends yeah. up um finding a way to download a virus into New Japan to mess up Father. Well, as the virus is spreading, Father goes ahead and starts ejecting off sections of New Japan because of the virus to stop it from spreading, and thousands and thousands of people are just ejected and. They just burn up an Earth's atmosphere. Like the people of New Japan, they're, he because he doesn't care. He's an artificial intelligence. If he wants more people, we'll go find some. Right, right. So all these people are up in there, and they're revolting, and then all of a sudden, Rai pops up on the scene with this exo-armor, and he starts taking out chunks of New Japan. So Father goes, and he initiates this, this defense mode, and New Japan turns into this gigantic 
Asian robot dragon. Whoa! And it and it's insane. So they're they're duking it out and fighting it out in sections, and they just kind of realize that like if things keep going this way, everyone in New Japan is gonna be dead. And, wow! And it won't matter, and Father will still be alive. So they find a way to bust in and and make their way through, and to go ahead and confront Father. And they're they're getting overwhelmed, and then the armor's destroyed, and they have no way back, and 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 they keep going forward, and then the resistance ends up showing up. And they're helping them to fight off all these um, these bots that are there to defend Father. And for so, I've gotten about as far as issue three, and Rye is straight up in a head-on head confrontation with Father right now over over control in New Japan because Father is actually so proud of this particular Rye. That he's willing to make him the guardian of New Japan for like indefinitely, because the other Rise have been, um, they've been showing it in these one shots that there have been other versions of Rai over the years. Yeah, and and like I said, each one of them has had a specific skill set to, to, for that particular time and era, and just it's just so cool, and things are really coming to a head, and it's uh, and I've been reading some of the one shots, um. That are bridging off of them, and they're and they're really good. Yeah, it's just it's so futuristic. It's probably the most futuristic title. Uh, well, it's tough because Valiant has all these out of the box thinkers that create these great futuristic sci fi's. But the most futuristic sci fi is probably Rai. Um, and the artwork is so trippy and so cool and just so much fun. I collect Rye in trade paperback. I have the first two volumes. I can't wait to pick up the third one. Uh, it's probably out already. Um, but yeah, um, great stuff and great stuff all around from Valiant Comics. It's just, we can't say enough about this label. We can't say enough about the books they come out with. Uh, I'm hoping that they got some reputation at the, uh, I mean, representation at uh, Boston Comic Con this year. You know, last year they weren't even there, and it was like, what the hell, you know? Yeah. I really, really hope we see uh, a Valiant booth uh, at this year's con, and and we'll report on such uh, when we do our Boston Comic Con episode. That's right. But uh, are we should we should we go ahead and crank up the hype machine? Crank it up. We've been doing it online, cranking up the hype machine, letting oh, yeah. everybody know. No, we always need to be doing that. that. Uh, the Vigilant Geek will, in fact, be at Boston Comic Con once again this year in full force. We are going all out this year. All out. Yeah, we'll be there all three days. It won't be hard to find. Look for a group of gentlemen wearing Vigilant Geek t-shirts. Um, we'll be uh, shooting lots of uh, videos. We'll be taking lots of pictures, doing a lot of coverage on the con. Everything from panels to cosplays to uh, some of the indie creators and the publications that they have been coming out with. Uh, all, all around the board, we're going to try to cover every aspect of the con or as much as we possibly humanly can. So, uh, you know, if you see us at the con, uh, come up. Say hello, and uh, maybe we'll make you internet famous. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, 
But uh, I suppose this concludes yet another episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. Now, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in the Vigilant Geek. Or if you're listening to this right now, you're already there. Um, subscribe and like our videos, please. Uh, also, visit our blog at thevigilantgeek.blogspot.com. Lots of interesting articles uh, posted regularly, book reviews. Also, you can find the podcast there. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Just type in The Vigilant Geek. We're at The Vigilant Geek for uh, Twitter. And uh, if you want to reach Holden, at Holden Jack Orm. Uh, and then uh, Facebook, www.facebook.com slash The Vigilant Geek. So plenty of places on the internet to find us, and uh, we're ever-expanding. So uh, be on the lookout for more info in regards to that. So we want to thank you very much for listening. My name is Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me, as always... Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media. And as always, stay, stay vigilant! vigilant.